0: How would you like to do church like Jesus did? Over the past few years, we've learned that church can happen in a very meaningful way outside of a church building. In fact, we're getting raving reviews from our house churches, which are now over a hundred. Though I thank God for church in buildings and on campuses, God is leading more and more people these days to gather for church in their homes. Not only is it easier for many people to attend a house church, But a house church can provide a level of community that campuses can't. So, every Thursday in December and January, I plan to host a house church interest meeting on Zoom. The meetings will be at 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time. If you're not attending a church right now and are interested, or know of anyone who may be interested in learning how to start a house church, simply email hcinfo at solidlives.com or, click the link on the description of this podcast to receive the Zoom link details. Again, that's hcinfo at solidlives.com. Okay, now let me welcome you to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Deerman, where we read and talk through a chapter of the New Testament every day. I'm glad you're here because reading God's Word daily will change your life. I'd appreciate it if you'd help others find this resource by sharing the link. And now... Let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, the the sentence goes on, but let's just stop there. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, because uh, the writer here has been talking about the Old Testament and all of these people that have been serving the Lord with the sacrifices and such, it seems evident that he's talking about so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, All these witnesses from the Bible, who wrote the Bible, who were part of the Bible, those that have gone on before us that are already in heaven, uh, those that are still around. Well, we have a great cloud of witnesses. And he says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us notice, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. He says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Well, that could be weights like just uh, things on your calendar, things that you have to do that you've always done or you like to do, but they really take your time. And they're taking you away from what God has called you to do. This says, let's lay aside things that are weighing us down. We're running a race here. Let's lay aside things that are weighing us down and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now that could be any or all sins, but I'll show you in just a little bit that there's one particular one that comes up that we need to emphasize. So he says, lay aside every weight and the sin, which so easily ensnares us, weighs us down, keeps us from running this race and let us run with endurance, not a sprint, but a marathon. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is the race to make it all the way to the end, pleasing the Lord, serving God, having our faith so that we have eternal life and the enemy doesn't deceive us and knock us off track, but also fulfilling our callings. The race that is set before us, now look at verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he says, let's lay aside the weight and the sin and run this race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross. See, He ran his race with endurance. He had to endure something more severe than any of us will have to endure. He had to uh, endure the cross where he bore the sins of the world. He had to endure that, go through that to be able to finish his assignment here on earth. And so the writer here is saying, look, lay aside whatever you have to lay aside and sin so that you can run your race like that and endure whatever you have to endure to finish your race. Now, I want to look at something else in verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. I have to comment on this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? Somebody might ask, well, what was the joy set before Jesus where he was able to endure the cross? Somebody said, well, being with the father again. No, he didn't have to endure the the cross to be with the father again. He said, I could call my father and he would send 12 legion of angels to get me out of here. No, he didn't have to endure the cross to be with the father again. Plus, he was with the Father before he came. He didn't even have to come. He could have stayed with the Father. No, the joy that was set before him was not him being with the Father again. It was us having the privilege to be with the Father, us having the privilege to be with him. We're his delight. We're the ones he's dying for. We're the ones he wants to become one with as the, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. He wants to marry us. See? And so, we were the joy that was set before him. And I could show you other scriptures on that, uh, but let me move on. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the, the cross, listen to this, despising not the pain, but the shame. The pain was horrific, but what was even more crushing to him was the shame that here's the creator God who created this whole earth, who created everybody on this earth. And now here he is coming to be the hero, the knight in shiny armor to save the day, to save us, to redeem us. And look at how he is shamefully humiliated. I mean, the soldiers stripped him down a couple of times, no telling what they did or said while that was happening. Now he's hanging on a cross, either naked or almost naked. And look at what people are are saying to him on the cross. He was embarrassed. It says, despising the shame. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, he's not in pain, and he's not under shame anymore, thank God. But he finished it. And folks, this is what we're going to do. We must be obedient to the Lord. We must lay aside whatever we have to lay aside and sin, lay it aside and run with endurance, endure whatever you have to do to be obedient to God and to fulfill your assignment. Verse 3, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So he's talking about laying aside the weights and the sin. And then he says, consider him lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Folks, we should not allow ourselves to become discouraged. We should be in the word. And aren't you glad you're in the word? Let's be in the word every day. See, and if we're in God's word every day, God's word encourages us. God's word helps us to think right. It realigns our thought processes. It it re. Uh, positions, our priorities, so that we can put first things first and serve the Lord, our God. So lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul, when you get discouraged in your soul, then you could go off track. And we should not do that. We've got to lay aside those things that discourage us and put in front of us the things that encourage us us to do the right things, the things that are eternal. Okay, verse four, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. He's saying uh, Jesus had to resist the temptation to sin all the way to bloodshed. In fact, blood being completely drained out. Jesus had to resist the temptation to sin and to not go through with what God had called him to do, even to bloodshed. He said, you haven't done that. You haven't done that. Of course, some martyrs have done that. But he's talking to these particular people, and he's talking to us today. We haven't resisted the temptation to sin, to bloodshed. So what does that mean? That means we can do this. We can overcome this. He goes on to say in verse 5, "...and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons." My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. In other words, God does sometimes chasten us. Now, I think that people... uh, take this too far. And people think that everything that goes wrong in their lives is chastening by the Lord. Well, the problem with that is the devil can just run you around. And I mean, slap you up one side and down the other and blame it on God and you'll never resist him. But the Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Uh, That's uh, James 4.7. And then Peter said in 1 Peter 5.8, he said, be sober, be vid- be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, resist him steadfast in the faith. See, and uh, Jesus said, uh, in my name, cast out demons. See, so if you don't recognize, well, let me tell you what else Jesus said. That was in Mark 16, uh, 17, and 18, but then uh, Jesus also said in John 10:10, 10, 10, "The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. See so if if you just let the devil kill, steal, destroy in your life, well, that's not God chastening you? No. The Bible told you, be sober, be vigilant, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But if you don't resist the devil, that's not God chastening you. That's you not putting on your armor. In fact, Paul, we didn't quote from the sixth chapter of Ephesians where Paul said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, we have to be able to resist him, to stand against him. You know, the enemy tried to kill Jesus before it was the time, tried to throw him off a cliff in Nazareth. You remember this? And he passed through the midst of them. We cannot allow the enemy to just do whatever he wants to do. However, there is a chastening from the Lord. And this is really clear in 1 Corinthians 11, when the Bible says about the communion passage, we, we can come and receive communion, but not, uh, not examine ourselves not really confess sin that's going on, not confront sin. And if that goes on and on and on, the Bible says that we're vulnerable to go into hell because we're not repenting of our sins. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, he said, if we'll judge ourselves, we won't be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So God will not just let us go off track and let us go on to hell without bringing some chastening. Now, of course, we need to respond to the chastening. If we're not repentant of our sins, like Paul said, if a, he said, let us examine ourselves. But if, if uh, we examine ourselves, we won't need chastening. But if we don't examine ourselves, we're going to be chastened by the Lord so we're not condemned with the world. Well, thank God. Boy, if I'm not repenting of my sins, if my children are not repenting of their sins, if my spouse is not repenting of her sins, well, dear Lord, Lord, chasten us. Don't let us be condemned with the world. Lord, help us to do right. Help us to to be on the right path. See, and so we need to thank God that he's not just going to let us be deceived and end up going to hell or uh, maybe not even that extreme, that's the worst, but not fulfill our ministry assignments. Oh, not please God, not help everybody else that can go to heaven to go to heaven. Oh, Lord, help us, chasten us if we need it. But of course, he's loving. So this says uh, that our parents did it what in the way that seemed best to them, but the Lord does it for our profit, do you see that in verse 10? The Lord does it for our profit. In other words, every time the Lord chastens us, it's for our benefit and he does it in the absolute best way possible for us. It may not seem enjoyable at the time, but let me tell you, he never over punishes and he never under punishes. He's merciful, but when he needs to chasten, he does. And I say, Lord, uh, Lord, help me to examine myself and to repent myself. But Lord, if I'm not doing it and I'm vulnerable, Lord, chasten me. Please chasten me, my children, my family, my, my church, my, the people that are with us in ministry. Don't let us be deceived. Verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So if you'll allow the chastening to work and you'll repent, oh, it feels so good to be right with God. It feels so good to be in the will of God. It feels so good to be in the favor of God. And that's what God wants. I know with our children, we'd, we'd give them their swats, but then We'd sit them up on our laps, we'd hug them, we'd kiss them, we would love them. We want them to know we're on your side. We're not, we're not retaliating. We're on your side. We love you. And then notice this, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Well, this is talking about our lives, and we're trying to run a race. And here we've got hands hanging down. You don't win a race with your hands hanging down. You don't win a race with feeble knees. No, you don't win a race with uh, your feet going all different directions. No, you win a race by getting your arms up, moving. I mean, every part of your being is stretching and working and running and moving forward to win this race. You, You have your eyes set on the goal in front of you. And he says, don't be lame. Don't have dislocated parts of your life. Get every part into sync to be the person that God has called you to be. Verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Look at this. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, peace and holiness. In other words, don't be one of these arguing with people every day. If you're an arguer and you're just arguing with people, uh, let me tell you, you need to repent. And I'm not saying you're not around argumentative people, but not everybody around you is the problem. And so we need to seek peace with all people. But notice this, and holiness. What is holiness? Holiness is when we're like God. God is holy. God is separated. God is sinless. God is righteous. And we need to pursue peace with all people and holiness, not condoning sin in our lives without repenting of it. Uh, Without which, if we don't pursue peace and holiness, we will not see the Lord. That's a strong statement. But boy, we better take it seriously because it's in the Word of God. That means it's absolutely the truth. In fact, Lord, right now, we choose to seek peace with everybody. And we choose to pursue holiness, to be free from sin, and to walk in obedience to you. Verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Somebody said, I didn't realize we could fall short of the grace of God. Yes, he's telling you, you can. You can fall short of the grace of God. Why? Because the grace was right there. All you had to do was repent of your sins and receive the grace, and you didn't. So you fell short. It was right there. The grace was there. It's like somebody, uh, you're, you're drowning And somebody reaches a pole out to you and says, grab the pole. And and you're saying, I don't want to grab that pole. No, I don't like that pole. no, And you drowned. Well, the, the pole was right there. You just didn't want to grab it. See, and so the grace of God is right there. But if you don't repent of your sins and pursue living in peace and obedience, then you'll fall short of the grace of God unnecessarily. The grace was plenty enough, more than enough to get you there, to forgive you. But you have to reach out and receive the grace of God. He goes on to say, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Did you know inside of you, you can become uh, irritated at something, annoyed by something, uh, have unforgiveness in your heart? And before you know it, it grows into a root of bitterness, a root of bitterness. And what happens? It'll defile you, but it'll also defile the people around you. Your attitude, your words will defile them Uh, because of a root of bitterness. We cannot allow that. We've got to release forgiveness. We've got to get our hearts clear and pure by the washing of water by the Word. The Word of God is washing us right now by speaking to us, and it's cleansing us. And you may have some debris going around because it's working on that root of bitterness. But nonetheless, the, the washing of the water of the word will eventually flush it out. If you just keep the word of God going in, it'll give you the faith you need to address these things. So it goes on to say, any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Boy, I tell you what, food, food, drink pleasures of the flesh. Oh, he's saying, uh, lest you be like that. Fornication, sexual things, folks, do not condone it. Confront it. Repent of it. If you have to repent of it three times a day until the Lord frees you and delivers you, repent over and over and call on the Lord to deliver you and to free you from that bondage. Goes on to say, verse 17, for you know that afterward when he, Esau, Uh, wanted to inherit the blessing. He was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. In other words, we're not always going to have an opportunity to just repent and to receive forgiveness, uh, though God is gracious. But we have this time now to do it. We should do it right now. So verse 18, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched touches the mountains, and he's quoting now from the Old Testament. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling, but you have come to the... To Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now let me just stop here because Uh, He said a mouthful here. He said, look, you have not come to the mountain like the children of Israel did when they were in the wilderness and they came to Mount Sinai and God brought Moses up to Mount Sinai, the top, but this mountain was on fire. The top of this mountain was blazing with a huge, like a forest fire, but it wasn't a forest fire. It was the fire of the living God. The fire of the living God, this mountain was on fire and the people were down uh, at the base of the mountain, not touching the mountain, but backed off. And they were looking at this fire and it was burning and blazing. And there was a loud trumpet sounding so loud that it just sent shills through your body. It was God showing them his power. It was God showing them the magnitude of who he is, who they're working with. Who is it that delivered them? From the Egyptians, who is it that was leading them through the wilderness and into the promised land? But here, the writer of Hebrews said, that's not the mountain God brought us to God brought us to Mount Zion. This is the mountain in Jerusalem. And he said, and to the city of the living God. But look, the heavenly Jerusalem. We're not talking about the earthly Jerusalem that's in Israel. We're talking about the heavenly Jerusalem. We're talking about the mountain of the living God in heaven. And he goes on to say uh, all these other uh, descriptives of what we're a part of as believers to the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. That's the church we're really all a part of, the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven. Man, we're registered in heaven. This is the gang we want to be with. Oh, we're registered in heaven. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men, made perfect. Just men made perfect. All these spirits who were in heaven, their bodies are buried here on earth. But these people who had faith in God, their spirits are in heaven. They've now been made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Do you remember with Abel's blood, uh, when Cain killed Abel, the Lord said to Cain, the blood of your brother Abel cries out to me from the ground. The blood of your brother Abel cries out to me. There's something about blood that speaks. Blood. The the Bible says in the Old Testament, the life is in the blood. Well, guess what? The blood of Jesus speaks. The blood of Jesus was sprinkled in the heavenly holy of holies, and it's speaking to God directly. What is his blood speaking? Their sins are paid for. Their sins are covered. I purchased the promises. I purchased the covenant for them. I swore in blood that we'd keep our promises. The blood of Jesus is speaking these things in the very presence of the living God. Verse 23, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Oh, let's not do that. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, when God shakes, like if you shake an apple tree and uh, overripe, apples, overripe apples fall off the tree, well, not all the apples fall, not all the branches will fall, but those loose leaves and loose debris and such, it'll fall out. When God shakes, those things which are solid and firm in him are not going to be shaken or rattled off. No, only those things which are not firmly planted, folks, Let's stay firmly planted in the Lord, in his word, full of his spirit. Praise God. Verse uh, 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. He didn't bring us to Mount Sinai that was on fire and the loud trumpet. But let me tell you, we have the same God. God didn't get saved in the New Testament. We did. But our God is a consuming fire. What does that mean? If you do not serve him, if you do not repent of your sins, if you do not follow him to be obedient with him. Well, let me tell you, he is the righteous judge. And this says he is a
1: consuming fire. Well, I look forward to being with you tomorrow. Chapter 13.